Well, it has been a joy to preach through the book of Numbers. Uh, One of the things that happens with preaching through a book of the Bible is you preach through all of it, uh, and you don't skip. Because Numbers 31 is one of those passages that is tempting to skip. Because, well, frankly, it doesn't sound very Christian. (laughs) In this passage, God commands Israel to kill people. That just doesn't sound right. In fact, God even commands them to kill women. That just really doesn't sound right. This is one of those passages that seem to suggest that there is an Old Testament God and a New Testament God, and they're not quite the same. And that can't be right. So how are we to interpret this correctly? How are we to to know if we're interpreting it correctly? And how are we possibly supposed to apply this to life today? Well, before we can get to the interpreting and the applying, we must begin with the listening the hearing of God's word, that we might hear the word of God as the word of God. Let's go to God in prayer together. Our Lord, you are indeed the God of revelation. And so what we have available to us today miraculously that you have revealed and preserved that we might still have access to it today, it is your word. Uh, It is purposefully given to us. Help us to understand rightly what it is that has taken place, what has been revealed in that, and how we are to rightly understand it and apply it to our lives. To that end, we need you. We need your Holy Spirit to come and to bear witness to the reading and to the preaching of your word. And so as always, we pray for the preacher and know that he is not worthy, but by your grace, he is able. And so it is through Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. I'm going to read uh, Numbers 31 in two parts. The first 24 verses recount the war, and then verses 25 to the end recount the spoils of war. So listen to God's word from Numbers 31, the first part. The Lord said to Moses, take vengeance on the Midianites for the Israelites. After that, you will be gathered to your people. So Moses said to the people, arm some of your men to go to war against the Midianites and to carry out the Lord's vengeance on them. Send into battle a thousand men from each of the tribes of Israel. So 12,000 men armed for battle, a thousand from each tribe were supplied from the clans of Israel. Moses sent them into battle, a thousand from each tribe, along with Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, who took with him articles from the sanctuary and the trumpets for signaling. They fought against Midian, as the Lord commanded Moses, and killed every man. Among their victims were Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. They also killed Balaam, son of Beor, with the sword. The Israelites captured the Midianite women and children and took all the Midianite herds, flocks, and goods as plunder. They burned all the towns where the Midianites had settled, as well as all their camps. They took all the plunder and spoils including the people and animals, and brought the captives, spoils, and plunder to Moses and Eleazar, the priest, and the Israelite assembly at their camp on the plains of Moab, by the Jordan across from Jericho. Moses, Eleazar, the priest, and all the leaders of the community went to meet them outside the camp. Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds who returned from the battle. Have you allowed all the women to live? He asked them. They were the ones who followed Balaam's advice. 
and were the means of turning the Israelites away from the Lord in what happened at Peor, so that a plague struck the Lord's people. Now kill all the boys and kill every woman who has slept with a man, but save for yourselves every girl who has never slept with a man. All of you who have killed anyone or touched anyone who was killed must stay outside the camp seven days. On the third and seventh days, you must purify yourselves and your captives. Purify every garment as well as everything made of leather, goat hair, or wood. Then Eleazar the priest said to the soldiers who had gone into battle, this is the requirement of the law that the Lord gave Moses. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, tin, lead, and anything else that can withstand fire must be put through the fire, and then it will be clean. But it must also be purified with the water of cleansing, and whatever cannot withstand fire must be put through that water. On the seventh day, wash your clothes, and you will be clean. Then you may come into the camp. One commentator begins his commentary on Numbers 31 by saying this. War is hell. There is nothing glorious about war. Nor should we have any romantic illusions about it. The Roman poet Horace penned the line, Dulce et decorum est pro patria mori. It is sweet and fitting to die for one's country. But his own experience of war was quite different. He fought on the side of Brutus at the Battle of Philippi in 42 BC, and far from dying a glorious death for his country in battle, he fled with the routed army, throwing away his shield as he ran. He discovered it is one thing to write noble poetry about war, and quite another to go through the horrors of war yourself. And war has not improved through the centuries. Over the past hundred years, we have seen some of the most horrific wars in the history of mankind, ranging from full-scale global conflicts to bloody local skirmishes between one ethnic community and another. War is surely never something to be desired or sought. Nonetheless, there are times in human history when war is necessary, either in self-defense or in pursuit of greater justice. We live in a world where evil regularly rears its ugly head and must sometimes be combated directly by force. Even more profoundly, though, we live in a world in which all evil will one day be brought to an end through a cosmic act of judgment when God finally goes out to war against all his enemies. Indeed, whenever we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, we are seeking the day when that final war will come to earth and the true war to end all wars. Numbers 31 anticipates this war to end all wars. This is no ordinary war, and it is certainly not ethnic cleansing. In fact, there's nothing ethnic about this war. It is God's war on sin and evil. Consider again verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, take vengeance on the Midianites for the Israelites. And after that, you'll be gathered to your people. Romans 12.19 is where the apostle Paul quotes Deuteronomy 12.32 with the Lord saying, vengeance is mine. In fact, fully that verse says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Whenever Israel set out against others, apart from God's command, they failed horribly. However, when they went to war at God's command, they succeeded miraculously. And that's what takes place here. 
Numbers 31 is not a blanket command to take vengeance against all enemies. Far from it. Numbers 31 is God's declaration of his war against a particular enemy. Look at verse 3 again. Moses said to the people, arm some of your men to go to war against the Midianites and to carry out the Lord's vengeance on them. Remember the context of this conflict. It goes back to Balaam, who has his favorite, his uh, famous donkey, but Balak uh, and Balaam, Balaam the money-mad prophet, Balak the cursed crazy king of Moab at that time, Balak and Balaam who had conspired together to try and figure out a way to get the Lord to curse Israel. But the Lord was determined not to curse Israel, but rather to bless Israel. And not even a talking donkey could seem to change Balaam's mind. Following multiple attempts to curse Israel, chapter 25 recounts Balaam's plan to have the Midianite and Moabite women seduce the Israelite men to engage in sexual immorality with them as a means to entice them into worshiping the Baal gods at Peor and by doing so to incite the Lord's anger. And sure enough, the Lord's anger was incited. 24,000 Israelites died in a plague, and it would have been more if not for the atoning sacrifice, the execution that was made by Phineas, the faithful priest. So the Israelites were punished for succumbing to the seduction of sexual immorality and Baal worship. And here we see that the Lord also takes vengeance on those who did the seducing, the devising. Verse 8 tells us that the five kings of Midian were killed and that they also killed Balaam, son of Beor, with the sword. And then verse 16 will explain, they were the ones who had followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning the Israelites away from the Lord and what had happened at Peor, so that a plague struck the Lord's people. So the Israelites were absolutely wrong to have been seduced. But the Midianites and Balaam were also wrong to have done the seducing to turn the Israelites away from the Lord. Now, in our gospel age today, we do not ordinarily see the Lord's anger burn against his people, either for succumbing to temptation or for those who tempt. However, have no doubt that the Lord's anger absolutely burns. But also know that the fullness of God's wrath is poured out on Jesus Christ, who has taken the punishment which is deserved by the seducer and the seduced. And so it's in passages such as this that we see the fullness of God's wrath and we see the fullness of God's love. And so we see there are not two gods, an Old Testament God and a New Testament God, but we see God's undeserved redeeming love through the atoning sacrifice of Christ who took on God's wrath for us. There are times when we face consequences for our sin. And there are times that those who tempt others to sin will face consequences. All of that is for God's redemptive purposes. Whether we face consequences or not, it is always tempered by Christ's sacrifice, measured out by God's wisdom towards his gracious ends. So it is that we do not always deal with others according to what they deserve, but with wisdom, we love one another. That's never simple permissiveness or enabling, but wise love. We do not take out vengeance on our children who disobey, but we discipline in love. 
We do not take out vengeance on our family and friends who wrong us, but we respond in wise love. We do not even take out vengeance on our enemies, but minister the gospel of justice and grace. Vengeance is the Lord's, but we still administer wise discipline and wise corrective measures. Throughout the book of Numbers, and really throughout the Old Testament for that matter, we see that the person and work of Jesus Christ is anticipated. It's foreshadowed. So as we see the Old Testament, we are anticipating and looking to what is fulfilled in the person and work of Christ. This whole book of the Bible, called Numbers in the Greek translation, but the Hebrew title is Bemidbar, in the wilderness. And it shows God with his people in the wilderness, having delivered them out of slavery to Egypt, leading them through the wilderness to take them into the promised land. This forms a picture for us of our deliverance out of slavery to sin, leading us through the wilderness of our life together today, and ultimately leading us to the eternal promised land, the new heavens and the new earth. Entry into the promised land by God's hand pictures receiving the blessings of heaven. And so also the comprehensive death of those who oppose God form a graphic picture of divine final judgment. This sort of holy war was designed to show Israel and her neighbors the Lord's great opposition to evil. Those who set themselves against the Lord are doomed to destruction, especially those that lead others into sin. Rebellious mankind cannot expect to persist in their cosmic treason forever. But beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So how do we know this is a holy war? Well, there are several features. Again, verse 3 where Moses says to the people, arm some of your men to go to war against the Midianites and to carry out the Lord's vengeance on them. This war was not Israel's idea. It was the Lord's declaration, the Lord's command to execute his vengeance. And then notice that it's also not all Israel that goes out to war. Rather, verse four, send into battle a thousand from each of the tribes of Israel. The census numbers tell us that there are over 600,000 fighting men that could be called into battle. The Lord calls just 12,000, an equal number of 1,000 from each of the 12 tribes. And who is it that leads this army? Verse 6, Moses sent them into battle, 1,000 from each tribe, along with Phinehas, son of Eleazar the priest, who took with him articles from the sanctuary and the trumpets for signaling. The son of the high priest, carrying holy objects like the Ark of the Covenant and the priestly trumpets. It's a vivid picture of the Lord's presence in their midst. And Phinehas, who intervened with the atoning execution of the guilty Israelite man and Midianite woman back in chapter 25, leads the way. Back in chapter 25, verse 15, we are told that the Midianite woman was named Cosby, daughter of Zur. Verse 8 of our passage names Zur as one of the tribal kings who was killed. Perhaps the most disturbing part of this narrative points to the exact nature of this holy war. The women 
who had led Israel into idolatry. Verse 16, these women were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning the Israelites away from the Lord in what happened at Peor so that a plague struck the Lord's people. And so it is that a holy war is carried out against those who oppose the Lord and especially those who cause God's people to sin, Balaam and the women seducers. A measure of mercy is extended to the virgin girls who are not part of this betrayal. Verses 19 through 24 then describe the stringent ritual cleansing that was still required. It was a holy war, but it was still war nonetheless. And those who were defiled by their contact with dead bodies in that conflict needed to go through the cleansing process. The stain of death needed to be washed away before they could re-enter the camp of the living God. And that points to the New Testament reading from earlier this morning from Hebrews 13, including verse 12, that Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Jesus himself was taken outside the camp so that we would find our cleansing and our holiness in him. Jesus was alienated from God so that we would not be alienated. That Jesus would, because of Jesus, God would never forsake us. Jesus was forsaken so that we would be forsaken no more. Jesus was cut off from the fellowship of the Father so that we would never be cut off, but could continue forever and have fellowship with the Father. That is what is pictured then in the second half of the narrative of Numbers 31 with the spoils of war, recognizing that victory came by God's hand and God asked for very little of the plunder. And yet the people give more than they were asked, recognizing that they too are guilty and do not deserve God's favor. So go back to Numbers 31, picking up at verse 25, and a whole bunch of numbers, they're gonna come at you here in the book of Numbers. The Lord said to Moses, you and Eleazar the priest and the family heads of the community are to count all the people and animals that were captured, divide the spoils between the soldiers who took part in the battle and the rest of the community. And from the soldiers who fought in the battle set apart as tribute for the Lord, one out of every 500, whether persons, cattle, donkeys, sheep, or goats. Take this tribute from their half share and give it to Eleazar the priest as the Lord's part. From the Israelites' half, select one out of every 50, whether persons, cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, or other animals. Give them to the Levites who are responsible for the care of the Lord's tabernacle. So Moses and Eleazar the priests did as the Lord commanded Moses. The plunder remaining from the spoils that the soldiers took was 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, 32,000 women who had never slept with a man. The half share of those who fought in the battle was 337,500 sheep, of which the tribute for the Lord was 675. 36,000 cattle, of which the tribute for the Lord was 72. 30,500 donkeys, of which the tribute for the Lord was 61. 16,000 people, of which the tribute for the Lord was 32. Moses gave the tribute to Eleazar the priest as the Lord's part, as the Lord commanded Moses. The half belonging to the Israelites, which Moses set apart from That of the fighting men, the community's half, was 337,500 sheep, 36,000 cattle, 30,500 donkeys, 16,000 people. From the Israelites' half, Moses selected one out of every 50 persons and animals as the Lord commanded him and gave them to the Levites who were responsible for the care of the Lord's tabernacle. Then the officers 
who were over the units of the army, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, went to Moses and said to him, your servants have counted the soldiers under our command and not one is missing. So we have brought as an offering to the Lord the gold articles each of us acquired, armlets, bracelets, signet rings, earrings, necklaces, to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. Moses and Eleazar the priest accepted from them the gold, all the crafted articles, all the gold from the commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, that Moses and Eleazar presented as a gift to the Lord, weighed 16,750 shekels. Each soldier had taken plunder for himself. Moses and Eleazar the priest accepted the gold from the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds and brought it into the tent of meeting as a memorial for the Israelites before the Lord. All right, so what are we supposed to do with all those numbers here in the book of Numbers? Well, essentially, the spoils of war are divided into three parts. Those who actually fought in the battle receive 49.8% of the spoils. Those who remained at home received 48%, and the Lord reserved the remaining 2.2% for himself as a tribute to the Levites. That's especially what we see in verses 27 through 30. And then the verses that follow simply tell us that the people did exactly what the Lord told them to do. But then something remarkable happens after all those numbers down in verse 49. Your servants have counted the soldiers under our command and not one is missing. 12,000 soldiers went into battle. 12,000 soldiers returned from battle. Not a single soldier died in this holy war. That is miraculous. And they recognize it as such. And so, verse 50, we have brought as an offering to the Lord the gold articles each of us acquired. Armlets, bracelets, signet rings, earrings, necklaces, to make atonement for ourselves. Not only did they give more to the Lord than was required, but they voluntarily gave the best the gold itself of what they had acquired, the gold objects that had been plundered. And why did they give it? To make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. They recognized that their lives were not their own, but belonged to the Lord. And yes, they had won the war, but in defeating the Midianites who had transgressed against the Lord, they recognized that they too were natural born rebels against God, by nature, children of wrath. The Midianites had sinned against the Lord and died in the war as a result of their rebellion. The first generation of Israel that had come out of Egypt that had rebelled against the Lord all died in the desert as a result of their rebellion. And now this generation becomes keenly aware that they have an internal need for true cleansing because they too were sinners. If God dealt with them the way they deserved then they too would perish. But God has not dealt with them according to what they deserve, but according to his grace. Not one soldier died in the battle. The Lord's wrath was not poured out on them, but on their enemies. Friends, the good news is the Lord's wrath is not poured out upon us, but is poured out upon Christ. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And his vengeance is poured out on Jesus Christ so that unmerited blessing is poured out on us. If vengeance belonged to us, we would all perish. We'd all kill each other in vengeance 
It's what we see all the time in our culture today. People endlessly attacking each other. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And so let us surrender vengeance to the Lord. Do not seek to avenge yourself, but leave it to God's hands to deal with his and our enemies. Surrender to the Lord, who will conquer all by his justice and grace. Surrender to the Lord who says, vengeance is mine, and you are mine too. May the truth set us free. Amen.